So a few moments ago, I read to you the inspiration for the text. That was the primary inspiration for that slide, or not that slide, that, that our mosaic, which was Revelation 12. There were others, but it was primarily Revelation 12, or 1, 12 through 20. Which, and Revelation, of course, uses dramatic, figurative, poetic, symbolic language. And that kind of language of Revelation, dramatic, figurative, poetic, symbolic language, can communicate big truths and mystery better than just everyday ordinary language. And art can do that. Art can communicate big truths and mystery better than ordinary language. So if you combine art with the language of revelation, that dramatic, figurative, poetic, symbolic language, then you have the potential for something as spectacular uh, as our mosaic, the cosmic Christ. It communicates these big truths, this mystery, better than, than ordinary language can. It communicates, every time we drive by or drive into the parking lot, it reminds us that, that this cosmic Christ, this Lord Jesus, is, is bigger than our boxes and bigger than our theories and even bigger than our differences. He cannot be adequately defined even by the most articulate theologians. He cannot be adequately described even by the most gifted poets. He cannot be adequately depicted even by the most talented artists. And he cannot be duplicated even by a 5,000 plus square feet, five stories high, and now that we have it settled, 5.5 million pieces of Venetian glass, those tiles. He is more than we can imagine and all we will ever need. He is the cosmic Christ. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the center of all the universe and he is the center of history. Now we know that because of the, the, the literature, the documents from back in the early 70s, we know that they chose as the theme for the cosmic Christ, creation and redemption. So I want to follow that theme. I want to, um, I want to talk about the story of the Christ from, from the beginning of history as we know it, creation, all the way to the end of history as we know it, all in about 17 minutes. I'm going to talk about all that. The story begins, uh, the beginning begins, uh, actually before beginning uh, began. Colossians 1. In him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him, through Christ. John 1 verse 3, through him, Jesus the Christ, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Those words to me represent great mystery that, that God the Son, the Christ, is the, the agent of creation. But this we know, all things were created through him and for him. We also know that God is one, that there is one God. And yet he is Father, Son, and Spirit, that he exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we know that just over 2,000 years ago, as, at least as time is measured on earth... And this unique mutual decision of Father, Son, and Spirit, it was decided that the second person of the Trinity, that God the Son would, 
would become, would take on flesh and become one of us. And so John 1 says, the word, that God the Son was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that those hands that once fashioned the universe suddenly had hands so small they would have fit easily into yours. And he who was above it all became a part of it all. And the, the infinite one became the infant one. And angels sang... And shepherds came, and wise men worshipped, and Herod, well, Herod uh, tried to kill him. And he grew, this sweet little Jesus boy, grew to become the man somewhere around age 30, began what we call his public ministry, and, and performed miracles that, that communicated the power and the compassion of, of God himself. To eyes, for example, to eyes that could not see, Jesus said, open up, and they did. And to ears that could not hear, Jesus said, listen up, and they did. And to a mouth that could not speak, Jesus said, speak up, and it did. And to a hand that was gnarled by disease, that Jesus said, straighten up, and it did. And to skin that was it was rotten with leprosy. Jesus said, clear up, and it did. And to a fishnet that had no fish, Jesus said, fill up, and it did. And then to 5,000 people on a hillside who had nothing more among them than a two-piece fish dinner, Jesus said, eat up, and they did. And then when they finished, he looked at his friends and he said, clean up, and they did, and they got 12 buckets full of leftovers. And then one night on the Sea of Galilee, he was out there with his friends when the, a sudden storm came up that threatened to topple the boat and drown its, its passengers. And Jesus stepped out on the bow and he said, to the winds and the seas, he said, hush up. And they did. And the dumbfounded disciples, those apoplectic apostles, Jesus' buddy, buddies in a boat asked, what kind of man is this that the winds and the seas obey him? Isaiah had answered that question seven centuries earlier. He is mighty God. Matthew 1 answers the question. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Titus 2 answers the question. He is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then about three action-packed years after the beginning of his public ministry, at around the age of 33, he died. On a cross, on a hill outside of old Jerusalem, uh, he stretched out his hands. He took upon himself our sins. There came a point after, in, in the afternoon after hours and hours of, of torture, after hours and hours of, taking a, of suffering the hell of our sin. He cried out, It is finished! And he hung his head, and he was gone. And it was no ordinary death. It was such a cataclysmic event. The earth quaked, and the sky turned black. And Matthew said the very graves around Jerusalem opened up. Two men, a man named Joseph, a man named Nicodemus, took his dead and disfigured body 
his increasingly cold and clammy body. Trying to beat sundown, they hurried to lay him in Joseph's tomb. They prepared him as quickly as well as they could. And then they walked away. And that was that. Except it wasn't. On Sunday, the women went to place burial spices on his body, but uh, nobody was there. Earlier that Sunday morning, the earth had quaked again. And Jesus' heart had started as if shocked by a defibrillator. And his eyelids fluttered and they opened and he sat up and, and nothing would ever be the same. In 1969, at a governor's prayer breakfast in Denver, Colorado, Werner, uh, Werner von Braun said, The reality of the life and resurrection of Jesus is the hope of all mankind. For 40 days, he, he revealed himself to hundreds of people. And then 40 days after his resurrection on the Mount of Olives, just outside the city of Jerusalem, he ascended, he, he took flight, he, he disappeared into the unseen world, a world as real as this one, simply invisible to the human eye. And, here's, and, and if that were not mysterious enough, his, the incarnation continued and let's let's talk about that so John 1 he he became flesh so for the first time God the son becomes human flesh in the person of Jesus he became flesh took upon himself blood and bone and muscle and sinew and and then when he ascended he didn't he didn't shed his humanity he didn't dump the body he he ascended as the God-man. Theologians all agree the Bible supports it. What, what does that mean? It means, among other things, that when the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 that James, right before his martyr's death, looked up and saw Jesus, it wasn't just a vision. It was the real deal. And when we sing those songs like, uh, you know, Mercy Me wrote, I can only imagine what it would be like if, what, I, what my eyes would see if your face were before me and then an old hymn some of us some of you've never heard some of us sang up grew up singing uh, face to face with Christ my Savior it means that that this idea of literally seeing Jesus is not is not just wishful thinking he ascended into heaven and the incarnation the enfleshment uh, continues so Jesus disappeared into the the unseen world and angels stepped out from it momentarily as if they were standing. I, I, I imagine them standing at the door as Jesus enters that unseen world called the heavens. And, 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 and when he went in, they stepped out just for a moment because all his friends were standing there looking up. And, and you know what they asked them? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. One of the most important truths of the Christian faith is, is that, that Jesus is coming back. It is the recurring echo of the New Testament. Uh, that this same Jesus who, who stepped into that unseen world from the Mount of Olives will step out of it 
physically and literally to return. I was down at Shaco Springs in Talladega a couple of weekends ago. I saw a bunch of ladies all had the same t-shirt on walking toward where I was sitting. When they got close enough, I wanted to see what their t-shirt said. When they got close enough, it read, normal is not returning, but Jesus is. (laughs) There's a, the Lord Jesus is coming back and, and you see how that you see how the crown is suspended above his head, that it rest, doesn't rest on his head? So what does that mean? It means that he is king of the universe. Let there be no doubt about that, always has been. However, there is coming a coronation. There is there's coming a day when his kingship will be celebrated and recognized. Our, son, our oldest son, Landon, became pastor of the Baptist Church of Beaufort in, in March of 2020. But he was not installed until about five weeks ago in April of 2022. He became pastor, and two weeks later, they shut down for COVID. Well, they didn't want to do the installation. You know, installation for pastors is, is like the formal uh, recognition and celebration of their pastorate. So for over two years, he was pastor, and then when the time was right... They celebrated and recognized his pastorate. So if you, can, if you can think of that, King Jesus has been king forever. But there is coming a day of the recognition and the celebration of his kingship, of his coronation, when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and will declare some out of panic and some out of worship uh, that Jesus is, is Lord. The day... The day is coming. Now, it will not be all handshakes and high fives on that day. There's a a wideness to God's mercy and there's an amazingness to his grace, but there is also a fierceness to his justice. And at that coronation, at the consummation, the conclusion of history, that day toward which all of history is headed, God will set things right. And that's a sobering thought. However... For those of us whose trust is in Jesus and not in our goodness, we can look forward to that day with great anticipation and find wonderful hope in the promise of his return. Scott McCumber was um, baptized in the James River. Scott Scott and his wife and his two kids, every August when I was a pastor in Richmond, we did a we did a, a baptism at the James River, and I would um, <clears throat> always along this beautiful thing, long line of folks. And so Scott and his wife and two kids were baptized, became part of not only God's family, but uh, our church. And then uh, sometime after that, uh, Scott was killed in an automobile accident. The next day after, his, uh, after the accident, some of his family had, and, and friends had gathered roadside uh, at the spot where Scott had died. A stranger drove by, turned around, and came back. Pulled over, got out of the car, and said, I've seen people gathering here today. I'm, I'm assuming there was an accident, yes. Were there any fatalities? Yes, they confirmed that Scott had died. And the stranger said simply, Go home and read John 14. That's all he said. And he left. And they did. 
They went home and they read John 14 and it became so meaningful to them that two days later at Scott's funeral, they had John, the first three verses of John 14 printed in the order of worship. And when we gathered, they gathered in that room we called the parlor just before we escorted the family into the service, it was John 14 they were talking about. John 14 is the, the, records the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you may also be. A skeptical friend of mine once asked me, why should I follow Jesus? When I answered, I didn't, I didn't give him a list of benefits to following Jesus. I simply said, because he deserves it. I said, if he is as I believe he is, the center of history and the center of the universe, and if he is the king of all kings, then why wouldn't we follow him? I asked him, I said, in the old country, if you had asked somebody why is your allegiance to the king they would have answered because he's the king and so why would why would we not trust all that we have and all that we are uh, to the king of all kings the king of all kings and the lord of all lords and confess that now because one day out of panic or worship, we all will confess that.